Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human beings, human love, on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African Embrace Live beyond Love beyond Your skin To where you Belong Don't take what you're done, cause you're the world of Papio Jungle, we're for original, nigga Dance, you're 
Ken Egan, Bobo Lagoon, you go to Africana, take it down. What a number to all. It's all about that of jail. Some sneak up, you know, 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 you Do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. See, our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Because we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. That's right. We just a lot of lot of little bodies trying to be somebody. This is the famous word from Brother August Moon. We like to welcome everyone to Africa on the Move. On the seventh day of November, 2021. Our theme tonight is part two. The whole world eyes are on us. We will discuss this theme and others important events tonight as they have an impact on your community. Welcome to Africa on the Move. And like always, not only will we speak to the powerless, but we will speak to the powerful. We're going to speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. So we encourage you to come and join us today by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Like always, Africa on the Moon will give you what you need and not necessarily what you want. So on that note, we can get started with our party, like always, by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. Be myself, Brother Africa. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. And our panelists right now, we'll bring in, start with Brother Haki. Brother Haki, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamaki Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness. And, of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing. It's all about building institutions in the community. Uh, but one of the things I thought I'd talk briefly about, I think is very pertinent um, to the aspirations of, of our people, is the whole question around propaganda. You know, often we talk about propaganda as though it's somehow affiliated with only 
the intelligence community. But in fact, when you stop and think about it in terms of how capitalism is organized, propaganda is um, uh, actually flows throughout the system. It's not a single aspect or subsystem of the system that actually embraces propaganda, but the system generally that embraces propaganda. So clearly I think that's important we keep that in mind in terms of we talk about the kind of changes that are taking place and why propaganda is becoming so pernicious, you know, in a society. And one thing is very, very clear, this propaganda or the level of propaganda certainly is going to become more uh, more sustained, uh, much more intricate in terms of its ability to deceive people. But having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out now. Now, the effectiveness of propaganda exists because of its ability to impact the unconscious function of the brain, the function which operates without any effort on our behalf. The level of misunderstanding in the U.S. and the world generally can be attributed to political operatives who operate behind the scenes to shape perceptions of the populace using media and or other institutions with express purpose of fomenting confusion in the minds of the masses to make exploitation of the masses easier to achieve. Exploitation of the masses is essential, according to political elites in the U.S., because of the palpable threats to the capitalist system. Threats like devaluation of the dollar or increasing worthlessness of the dollar, coupled with the challenges of the dollar as reserve currency, have seen countries like Russia, China, Iran, Singapore, and others seek to move away from the SWIFT system that ensures all financial trans- transactions come through the U.S. By making preparations decoupled from the SWIFT system, the repercussions for the U.S. is twofold. By moving away from the SWIFT system, the ability to impose sanctions on the case of Venezuela, Iran, or Afghanistan, the ability to sabotage other economies is eliminated. Secondly, since control or capital of other countries compel other states to invest in the U.S. economy, whether they want to or not, means other states subsidize the U.S. economy, economy making perpetual war possible. Obviously, without the financial means to create endless war, neoliberalism or the ruthless exploitation of states and their people will be impossible to maintain. This constitutes a threat to U.S. elites, not just in terms of power and or control, but economic domination of the world's resources and the possibility of less wealth for the capitalist class. Now, repercussions for the capitalist do not end with monetary contractions, but the more sinister eventuality, if the masses of people come to the realization their suffering is directly related to a system that views them as expendable units whose only worth lies in how much they can be exploited. Upon this realization, capitalists understand the ensuing indignation of the masses rightfully would be directed at the capitalists. Rousseau, the philosopher who coined the phrase, they will eat the rich, succinctly sums up the dilemma for the capitalists face when food, shelter, and education is no longer accessible to the poor. In order to prevent such a movement that exposes the excesses of capitalism, greed, and humanity, Capitalists employ propaganda specifically to undermine a mass awakening in hopes of forestalling the inevitable elevation of human consciousness. Now, the process, this process by no means <coughs> will be seamless or smooth. The level of sophistication of propaganda construction has been elaborate and, as a consequence, very effective. Now, two quick examples of that. The first being recently Judge Burrell Howard, a chief federal judge, complained that of the 650-plus capital ride cases uh, <coughs> resulted in soft plea deals by prosecutors. Despite the fact these insurrectionists sought to bring down the government, these pleas do not measure up to the seriousness of the crime. She went on to say the plea deals caused public confusion. She also added, she stated, these soft sentences were not only unprecedented in the federal court system, 
where they conveyed the message right-wing violence is justified provided it is done for the betterment of the country, a message that implied the federal judiciary supports the insurrectionists. This is a particular problematic given U.S. Sentencing Commission guidelines states federal sentences must be severe when crimes are considered severe or a threat to the state. Now, the second example, now recently the, the Public Religion Research Institute released a report proclaiming one of three Republicans, 30% Republicans, believe violence may be necessary to save the U.S. The report also indicated among Americans who believe the 2020 election was stolen from Trump, 39% believe violence may be required. The logical question is, who will the violence be directed as? There is no indication violence will be directed at the capitalists. Republicans consistently advocate deregulation of corporations, less taxes, smaller government, and regulation of unions all of which view the status quo as preferable. If the system is currently, as it currently functions is perceived to be proceeding in the right direction by Republicans, we can only conclude that capitalists are not perceived as the enemy. When Republicans routinely espouse the, right, the value of true American patriots, the implication implies others are not true, true patriots, that being true connotes only one way of view politics. So just among many Republicans, there was a specific idea as to who constitutes the real economy. Real enemy. Assessing the real enemy under Republican calculations often falls short of assessing objective reality. By elevating self interest at the center of the universe, consideration of the plight of others resonates little. This position is easy to uphold when the recipients of economic policy benefits one class over the other, or their allegiance to the status quo based upon perceived affiliation, which neatly compartmentalizes humanity, making the less fortunate problems their own. Under this rubric, Blaming others for their predicament and limits any personal responsibility while at the same time creating a scapegoat to deflect from economic decline, preferring instead to blame the poor. If an honest assessment of the economy, economic landscape were allowed, the masses would come to understand that continuous money, continuous money printing and wealth allocation given to the wealthy resort in economic disparities too great to make participation of the masses in the economy possible. Systematically speaking, without mass participation in the economy, the ability to spend is greatly undermined. No revenues for the government restricts its ability for investments in the real economy, which only exacerbates unemployment. Rising unemployment means instability in the system and should be of concern to true patriots. Ironically, the political elite understands this implicit threat posed by unemployment, which is why they utilize propaganda to conceal discontent toward capitalism. They also understand revolution is inevitable, which is why they create the perception right-wing Republicans are the most valued sector of the population. Foot soldiers committed to killing all those who oppose fascism and its many manifestations. Unfortunately, when Republicans talk of committing violence and saving America, their preferred target does not create or shape economic policy. The ears from which they rebel lies with the capitalists, no one else. Not gay people, not the poor, not the immigrants, nor the African community are responsible for the economic malaise sweeping the country. The disinformation the right wing internalizes precisely their intended strategy of misdirection where targeting the powerless becomes allows the powerful to, to continue exploitation of both people and planet. So clearly, Brother Africa, this question in terms of propaganda is key in terms of understanding why it's so prevalent in American society. And once we understand the, how, just how prevalent it is, then we have an obligation not only to fight against it, but to educate people in terms of, you know, um, is, is, um, in terms of how it's used in terms of not only dividing society, but pitting people against one another. So clearly we got our work cut out for us in terms of understanding this, this phenomenon in terms of propaganda. And so without that clarity, 
then becoming fighting the system becomes even that much more difficult to to pull off. So therefore, understanding the role of propaganda, how it operates, is key in terms of moving forward in the society. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Man, we move forward to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move. Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa and Brother Hakeem and fellow panelists and to our listeners. Um, it's been a wonderful week. The The issue on hand uh, in the District of Columbia uh, had been uh, the virus. And since June, 49 persons had died in the District of Columbia from the virus. All of them were unvaccinated, and 48 of the 49 were African Americans. So this uh, continues to be a troubling issue. The District is considering, the District of Columbia is considering uh, vaccine mandates for health workers as well as um, school teachers, uh, persons working in daycare and other venues. Uh, there, is pen- there is a bill pending in the city council. It hasn't moved uh, it hasn't moved anywhere. There were hearings this week uh, and the public was able to um, participate. And we had a number of uh, pediatricians uh, and other professionals who weighed in. The other interesting thing was what Brother Akeem was talking about, and that is uh, the people and how easily we are duped. And we saw last week in Virginia, or this past week in Virginia, an example of that. You look at counties like Arlington County, Fairfax, and Loudoun. They're amongst the wealthiest in the world, and they voted blue. When by voting blue, they potentially face face increased taxes and other phenomena. But these people aren't concerned with this. So the question is, why? Why do Americans, uh, the electorate, vote against itself? Why do we choose to vote for people who are concerned with cutting health care, with um, taking funds from our school board budgets, directing them towards private schools or other venues. And these are real issues. What is happening with the electorate? Now, they talk about the working class, and I was reading an article in the New York Times, and it called the working class anyone without a four-year degree. I would disagree with that analysis. However, these people during this this election in Virginia voted against their own best interest. They 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 chose to vote and support the capitalists. They chose to vote and ignore workers' rights, health care, and issues uh, facing the small farmers, the the two percent black farmers that remain, and the fact um, and indigenous farmers, black and indigenous farmers in Virginia, and why is it that the electorate votes against itself? Why did the Democrats not stand up and pass the two 
voting bills that would um, uh, cause um, the uh, changes in laws. Because as we know, since November, 18 states have passed voter suppression bills because people don't want to see what happened in 2020. The the capitalists and the leaders uh, and these these, uh, neo-fascists do not want to see what happened in November 2020, and that is everybody coming out to vote. It may be the least thing you can do, but it's the first thing you can do to begin to wake yourself up and participate in your community and in your government. And people did. And Donald Trump didn't lose the election by a few votes. He lost it by about 7 million. But we saw in Virginia this week a governor that barely made it in. Youngkin barely made it in. But we did not see McCullen calling for a recount because we know that this democracy works. These, if you come out to vote, you can make a difference. And many people sat on their couch or chose not to vote in Virginia, and we see the results today. So with that in mind, Brother Africa, I just want to remind people to stand up for their rights by making sure during next year's midterms that they vote, that they learn about their candidates and investigate. Um, The fact that we have a governor in Virginia that runs dental clinics that abuse, have abused children medically by doing unnecessary uh, root canals and other things on these young people's adult teeth and made millions of dollars and, and, and has been sanctioned for the, the medical abuses in these clinics, and now he's the governor of Virginia. So for some reason, uh, we keep supporting the capitalists, and we get confused. We're paying all the taxes. We have 55 super rich entities in this country that pay zero taxes. We have the trillionaires paying zero taxes, the billionaires paying zero taxes. Well, it is time for a, a minimum tax on these people. I personally think it should be 33.5%. And I say that, Brother Africa, because that's how the people are taxed. When a person needs a home, they have 3.5% for that home. We see the Howard University students right now, Brother Africa, this is we're going into the fourth week. This may be the 22nd or the 23rd day of their set-in. And what is their struggle? Housing. So we continue to see working-class struggles increase in this country, homelessness increasing, the lack of health care equity. If you mandate a vaccine, you're going to have to make sure that the most vulnerable people have access to that vaccine. If you mandate a vaccine, how will it be administered? You can't leave it on the uh, on the people who lack transportation equity and are of low income and have limited medical resources in their community 
to be able to get these vaccines. They have difficulty in receiving the mandated vaccines. And if we mandate vaccines in the District of Columbia, we will need to include and update the vaccine list with the pediatricians, the schools, and everyone involved. We know that you need a vaccine against polio. We know you need one against the measles, the chicken pox. So we're going to add another vaccine. We need to make sure that we're able to administer it and that we're able to educate people and put science first. And poor people and working class people need to stand up and support themselves. They need to think about quality education and that that's a human right. Having access to quality food, to housing, to transportation, having uh, access to clean air and water, and being able to have a voice in reducing our carbon footprint are the rights of the working class, and we need to exercise those rights, Brother Africa. And I just want to say to, on, to the families of the 49 persons that died in this District of Columbia and all those who have lost loved ones nationwide during this pandemic, that my prayers go out to you and that we, we pray for you, my church prays for you, and you are in our hearts and prayers. So thank you so much, Brother Africa, and uh, thank you for allowing me to uh, participate in this evening's forum. You're welcome anytime, Sister Eleanor. To the listening audience, you listen, Brother Africa, Africa on the Moon. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we want you to join us by calling 323-679-0841, and we can discuss what's going on in our world and the community. This is Africa on the Moon.
is my king, is my one, yes, he's my father, yes, he's my son, I can talk to him, cause he understands everything I go through and everything I am, he's my support system, I can't live without him, the best thing since life's bread is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch, and I just want the whole world to know about my black brother. I love you, and I'll never try to hurt you. I want you to know that I'm here for you forever, too, because you're my black brother, strong brother, and there is no one above you. I want you to know that.
Papua New Guinea, oh yeah, country in Europe. We got you back. Come and help organize our people. Join the movement. Come fight with our sisters. We see the struggle that's taking place on Howard University. Uh, it's being right now look like being organized and um, by African women. Brothers, we need your help. Come and join us. We got your back. And for the rest of y'all, learn your history and stop being a Buffalo soldier. Stop fighting other people's walls. That's my little two-cent word for today, right now. We'd like to welcome you back. We get a seat. We're going to take the heat. As you define it, we're going to stand behind it. We have a political panel analyst who will be giving us their perspective on what's going on in our world and the community. And like always, you can join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Before we do this, I have a couple quick announcements as it relates to some aspect of our history. On today's date, on the summer, we'd like to remind everybody that today is the day is daylight saving time. If you ever move your clock back one hour, please do that. That means you're out behind time. Now, for our announcement of our historical significance, we just would like to remind you that uh, there was an African revolt successfully on the slave ship of Creole in 1841, and UN declared on this issue of um, discrimination or eliminate discrimination against women back in 1980, 1967, 1967, U.S., U.N. Declaration on Eliminating Discrimination Against Women in 1967. So those are two significant events that took place on the 7th of November. So right now, we're going to continue to move forward down the road of liberation by bringing our political panelists and analysts back in. And Brother Haki, we're going to start out with you. You're going to tell us what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, you know, um, it seems to me, you know, there's been a great deal of discussion, you know, over the last couple of months with respect um, to ecocide or destruction of the planet. And it's very interesting to me because when you look at the tenets of capitalism in terms of how it functions, this whole question in terms of destruction seems to be a recurring theme in terms of how capitalism plays itself out. Certainly the many manifestations of, of capitalism suggest destruction is an intimate part of capitalism. So it seems to me that, you know, philosophically speaking, uh, we got to at some point uh, start asking ourselves the question, you know, if in fact this question in terms of destruction as a philosophy the intimate part of the system. If, if that's the case, then we got to ask yourself, then if in fact it's philosophically is, is, is um, committed to destruction, then we've got to ask ourselves, what does that mean to us in terms of human beings on this planet uh, living under capitalism? So clearly Brother Africa is very, very problematic in terms of this, 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 this propensity in terms of destruction and capitalism. So it got me to thinking, so I wrote this little piece, and I, I, I you know, hopefully to provide some clarity around this question in terms of this propensity or this philosophical um, undercurrent of destruction that exists in the capitalist system. Now, ecocide or destruction of the planet will not be an easy problem to overcome. Aside from the climate deniers who witnessed destruction of 20% of the Amazon rainforest or massive heat waves burning millions of acres of arable land throughout the world, the bigger threat comes from economic doctrine that reinforces the idea of limitless economic growth 
resulting in huge profits for capitalists. Such ideas championed by individuals like Trump, former President Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, Paul Keating, and Jair Bolsonaro authorized and validated neoliberal policy that elevated corporate privatization of the economy. Power to make economic decisions was removed from government institutions to corporate boards whose primary interest lies in corporate profits, not the planet or the working people. By instituting austerity or maximum control over the economy, both nationally and internationally, capitalists through corporate control are strategically situated to ensure corporate demands for profits exceeds all other concerns, even when those other concerns, like the state of the planet, have great implications for life itself. Corporate power was evident in 1998 when the U.S., the U.K., and the Netherlands were successful in removing ecocide classification as a crime against humanity under international criminal court statutes. This maneuver ensured the continued plunder of the planet without regard for the consequences to both the planet and life. Now, in the face of the corporate power, political institutions' ability to act in a way to preserve the interests of the planet by extension life is greatly hampered by institutions lacking their political will to confront corporations. Institutions' will to advocate for the interests of humanity is further constrained by players who occupy those institutions' addiction to money and power. Corporate expen- in fact, corporate expenditures for lobbying politicians over the last decades consisted of being in excess of $3 billion per year. Currently, it is estimated corporations spend $3.49 billion yearly on lobbying politicians. This amount of money greatly increases access to politicians, and with this access comes the persuasive power of money. Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema are just two examples of money's ability to sway policy. Now, access to corporate money does come with stipulations. How politicians vote, who they endorse, and what policies they pursue are important determinants if politicians are to receive additional monies in the future. Effectiveness of the politicians is gauged by corporations, not just by how they vote on key policies, but their willingness to operate clandestinely in support of the corporate agenda. Now, clandestine may be a little strong, but their support of the corporate agenda is done in a way so as to, to, to avoid uh, visibility. Now, typically, politicians write amicus briefs or statements to the Supreme Court in support of issues before the court. For example, recently, corporations petitioned the Supreme Court question the right of the Environment Protection Agency to regulate business activity that destroys the environment. Back in 2016, President Obama, former President Barack Obama, endorsed a clean power plan which limited the use of coal. Before the lower courts ruled on the EPA endorsement of the plan, a conservative Supreme Court violated the law by making a ruling stating the EPA lacked the regulatory power to, in effect, undermine business decisions. Because the Supreme Court actions were legally inappropriate, the case would be heard by Supreme Court as a result of a Trump or a technicality that, re- that reversed the Clean Power Plan. The conservative Supreme Court opposition to environmental regulations is well known. In fact, the level invective or abuse indi- <coughs> indicated by the conservative Supreme Court majority goes beyond disdain for any policy elevating environmental regulation, but sheer hostility toward Congress and what Supreme Court's justices see as Congress' fundamental lack of understanding the U.S. Constitution. Judge Kavanaugh emphatically stated, quote, in view of, of harm and laws passed by Congress, they are instructive and nothing more, end quote. Legally speaking, Kavanaugh's assertions are impossible to dismiss. The class bias of the U.S. Constitution favor wealthy, property-owning white men as well as fabulous. 
Now, just oppose his commerce clause, which in part says Congress shall not use his commerce power to regulate non-economic subject matter or any regulation that violates constitutional right, creates the perfect rationale for non-intervention pertaining to big business in a capitalist society. No, little wonder back in 2016 during a clean power plan, Congressperson Gibbs, Republican of Ohio, in Hoff, a Republican out of Oklahoma, joined 21 senators and 67 congresspersons to submit an amicus brief in opposition to what they see as intrusion of federal law which sought to regulate use of water. Federal policy was innovated exclusively to counter the drought, which affected the western states for over five years and the southwest states for over two decades, and this according to the National Climatic Data Center. By, by regulating water uses, the federal government was attempting to make a scarce resource available to more people, not just the wealthy. Gibbs and his cohorts disagree, stating that water uses is a state issue and government policy is an overreach in violation of the Constitution. Implicit in the coalition's demand were states should decide who has access to water and who does not have access to water. Those having access to water should be businesses, ranchers, and farmers. Interestingly enough, no mention of the masses of people and their need for water consumption. If we were to extrapolate based upon conservative coalition's demands, we would have to conclude the cows clouds that have access to water, which is, which is more important than access to water for human children. Now, this potential by conservative politicians to elevate private interests for the public is indeed problematic. Even when facilitating private interests and those private interests reveal themselves to be harmful to the planet or life, many conservatives persist in advocating anyway. Whether we're talking about global warming, disposal of toxic nuclear byproducts, or forever chemicals that pollute the water tables, placing the demands of capitalists above all others and perils both planet and life. Just because it's constitutionally permissible does not make it sane. And I think it's important that we keep that in mind that when we think about the U.S. Constitution in terms of its mandates, understanding that a lot of things that the mandate does, does, doesn't bode well in terms of the planet or humanity. So clearly we have to keep that in the back of our mind when we listen to these politicians, particularly conservative politics, talk about the, uh, the, the Constitution as a living document. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. What we're going to do right now, we're going to make our transition to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world and the community, Sister Eleanor? Well, of course, um, Brother Africa, as um, the issue of the, uh, the bill before the City Council of the District of Columbia, um, it, well, actually, it came up... Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago on 10-27-2021, hearings were held as to whether or not to mandate vaccines, as I was saying, uh, for school personnel, persons working with children. But as Brother Africa, um, Brother Hakeem was talking about the environment, so I'm always concerned about the environment. And it is true that um, you see uh, backstepping in that uh, the environmental crises that we're facing right now, we've been aware of it for uh, 50 years and uh, at least 51 years, meaning everyday people like myself. And it's up to us to 
reduce the carbon footprint, but also we have to put our dollars where our mouth is too. So we have to stop purchasing from uh, sources that we know are um, continuing to uh, seek out new avenues for fossil fuel. We have to fight the development of any new pipelines. As we saw, the U.S. has just uh, made an agreement with Guyana to start to pipe, pump natural gas and to allow Exxon to uh, go there and uh, look for fossil fuel. Well, this is not something that should be done. So in my world right now, I see uh, that people are resisting. Yesterday in Malcolm X Park at 16th and Euclid, we saw that there were uh, demonstrators that were speaking up against uh, unfair housing conditions for students, such as the Howard University students who are on their third week strike here in the District of Columbia. They've been doing a sit-in. They formed their own tent city. Uh, they are living in deplorable conditions. Howard has sold many of its dorms, and the housing situation for the students is outrageous. They've gone from being able to access campus in a walk to students living in Alexandria, Virginia, Arlington, PG County, too much of a that 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 places a uh, increased economic burden on those students, as well as um, the time it takes to travel about and how it restricts their matriculation. They should be able to be near their school, near the library, near the, what they're in the district for, which is that education at an HBU. So I'd like to bring that to our listeners' attention, that the students of Howard University in Washington, D.C., are on their third week of a strike, and they have been demonstrating and having marches, and they are connecting their concerns with uh, Black Lives Matter. So they are getting organized, and I just want to make our listeners aware of those things. And the environmental injustice by the corporations has to be stopped, but the only way it can be stopped is legislatively. So we need to see major campaign uh, finance um, change in this country because as long as, as Brother Akeem said, as long as the campaigns are being funded by big corporations, we're going to see problems. In the election uh, last week in Virginia, three times the amount of money ever spent, three times more, collectively $145 million was spent on the gubernatorial race alone. So we can see that corporate America is trying to buy politicians. So the way we stop that, Brother Africa, is to restrict and change our campaign laws and restrict donations by these, uh, and the amount of donations by these large corporations. And um, I, I just thank you so much, Brother Africa and Brother Keen, for uh, uh, 
being so informative and allowing me an opportunity to participate in this evening's forum. And uh, my heart goes out for Mother Earth and her animals. They are suffering. The Amazon is 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 being wiped out. And as Brother Africa, um, as Brother Akeem said, we see all these droughts, and they're really man-made droughts when you think about it. Uh, the coal power plants, the number three people doing this is the United States, India, and China. And China didn't even come to the table last week. So, you know, we need to, you know, work together. And and China and the U.S., uh, everything I buy seems to come from China. So, uh, obviously, uh, they're working together. So they need to pull it together and try to save Mother Earth and stop building coal plants and drilling for oil. And with that, that's about it. And I stand in solidarity with the students at Howard University, with my Palestinian brothers and sisters living under apartheid in Israel, in occupied Palestine. I stand in solidarity with the Afghan people and with all women and children for their right to education and the right to health care and the control of their bodies and their and their basic civil rights. And I stand in solidarity with all working class people. And I have to tell people they need to join the unions. The unions in this country are at their weakest state ever. And organized labor is how we got the labor rights that we have today. Remember, these capitalists here didn't have any problem with the 12-hour working day, 16-hour working day, and we shouldn't forget our history, where women and children were in textile sweat houses in New York that were ablaze and no one could get out, and there was a huge massacre. So we need to be organized as workers and as the masses need to stand up against the trillionaires and stop thinking that the trillionaires are going to take care of us. Let's tax them. Let's make them pay. Let's make them use their money to reverse this climate crisis that we're in, and we will work with them. And that's um, it for me today. And just um, think about clean water, clean land, and access to water. Because Brother Akeem talked about water, and I think about the people in New Mexico who depend on water coming down that Rio Grande all the way down to El Paso, Texas. Uh, they, those water rights are essential because this is the high desert. It's not a place that... that uh, was without water due to global warming. It's a place that depends on the water uh, from the melting snow in the in the Rocky Mountains to provide water for people in four states. So um, that's an important issue, and no one group of people should control the air, the water, or the land. The land belongs to the people. It belongs to the animals, and we must always respect them.
Thank you, Brother Africa. All right, Sister Eleanor, we thank you. And from Sister Eleanor to Brother Moses, you could partner the sea right now. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, as I always say, politics determines economics, always has and always will. And so we see the economics this week um, by um, the Democrats, uh, along with, I think, 16 Republicans, um, um, passed this um, uh, infrastructure bill that the president signed and uh, it should make a difference, a material difference in terms of uh, the um, water and bridges and and highways, uh, uh, the subway system in D.C., et cetera, all will be getting income from uh, this um, bill that was passed. Uh, it's not ideal, of course, but, uh, but it, it is uh, a step in the right direction, I would and, um that was the big thing this this week. Um, the Black is Back movement was in in Malcolm X Park, as, as Sister Ellen mentioned. Uh, um, the uh, I received in, uh, emails from uh, World Can't Wait, uh, and they're active, uh, and also. Uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation is active, and in, in, and also in, the, in that Howard University um, um, struggle, they have grassroots people involved with that, and so that that's uh, pretty progressive. It's, it's time we get organized. Uh, we need organization, and um, and um, and the existing organizations. Um, um, Seem like they're going to have to be what we we're going to have to go with what 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 is what is on the ground and what is available, such as uh, PSL and 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 R C P U S A, and and this is this is on my mind. This is what I'm struggling with. Uh, I'm trying to get more organized, more involved, more 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 uh, paying attention to the details of the struggle and. And this is what's on my mind this week, trying to figure out how I can get more organized. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Um, you're listening to Africa on the Move. And when we come back, we just would like to entertain just a little bit about the sports world in the U.S. and how things are being played out. We're going to have that discussion when we come back. You, the listening audience, feel free to join us at 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move. We're in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. We're going to find and stand behind it. We'll be right back. Labor Singing Ensemble from North Carolina. We are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization Black Workers for Justice. 
Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement, too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have Superfund sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms. Uh, proliferation in North Carolina and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down like water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the hearts and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. i 
¿Dónde está Maranta? De la Maranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We're in the seat and we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. Today is the seventh day of November 2021. Our theme tonight is part two. The whole world eyes are on us. We'll be discussing this theme very shortly. But right now, we'll continue our discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. Right now, we're going to bring in our brother, Anthony, and he's going to share with us what's going on in his world and the community. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Afternoon, Brother Africa. Our revolutionary greetings to you and the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Uh, what's going on in my, uh, in my, uh, in my world is uh, the fact that, uh, that uh, various imperialist forces are very uh, 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 busy trying to take control of Africa by any means necessary. And, um, you know, one example of this is the, the continued intervention in the affairs of Africa and the African diaspora as well, uh, such as uh, Cuba and Venezuela. And uh, let's see, and, um, you know, and things are intensifying worldwide in terms of uh, the contradictions confronting Africans and Africa diaspora, which points to the need for us to be better organized as a people throughout uh, at home and in the diaspora. And uh, let's see, um, uh, let's see, and and, then, you know, and uh, their barriers, uh, that there are various negotiations going on, uh, you know, with uh, various components of the African community, in order to cons- uh, in order to continue support of uh, U.S. imperialist policies around the world. Uh, for example, there was a meeting held. Uh, recently uh, between Kamala Harris and various heads of the the African fraternities and sororities in the U.S. as an example. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that doesn't, uh, you know, and that sort of arrangement doesn't bode well for the masses of African people suffering from imperialist impression. Uh, that's pretty much it for what I have today. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Right now, this question, we'd like to have a little discussion, if we can, with all of our panelists and analysts around the question of sports, how things are going on in, sport, in the sports world today. In this sense, I must focus on saying these are the context of the U.S. win U.S. border. You know, recently there was a very well-known football player named Aaron Rodgers. He was a quarterback for a football team um, named the Green Bay Packers. Uh, 
and he was recently um, being um, identified as not being forthright in telling the truth. Um, in so many words, a line, a line about his status of not having taken the vaccine shots. And it was interesting turn the lack of response to him not taking the vaccine shots versus the response that all of the African athletes received as relates to when they made statements or, or everyone was aware that they openly said they were not or they have not taken the shots. They said were well, mandatory, they had to get the shots. They were saying if they didn't get the shots, teams would allow them the right to play, i.e. such as Cam Newton, who who is a African quarterback in the National Football League and very good one at it, even today, as a result of up to up to recently not taking the shots. They claimed that was one of the major issues of why he has not been given the opportunity to continue his career in football. So that was a big um, uproar over Africans saying they're not going to take the shots. If not, you know, then they should let them play. Well, what about Aaron Rodgers? This guy not only lied to the people that he won't go take the shots, but after he took the shots, later on came out, Facts and information came out later on that, one, the team he played for knew that he didn't have the shots, and two, the NFL itself knew he hadn't taken the shots. Now the new narrative, as of today, they stated, it's not an official policy that you don't have to take the shots. If you don't take the shots, you just have to follow certain protocols. What the hell is going on, Hockey? What's going on, Hockey? We can play it again. Uh, we can play it again or what, Brother Hockey? Talk to me. What you make up? What do you think about that, this phenomenon, Brother Hackey? Well, you know, un- unfortunately, Brother Africa, the NFL's uh, the racism that permeated itself, you know, in the NFL's simply a microcosm of the broader society. Clearly, when it comes to a double standard, you know, uh, often the, the white players get the benefit of the doubt in terms of any kind of infraction. Now, I like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think he's a, he's a great athlete. I like him. Uh, but the mere fact that when you look at when you contrast his situation with that of Kyrie Irving in terms of the kind of um, the kind of um, uh, very uh, adversarial kind of tone that was directed against Kyrie in terms of his refusal to take that COVID nineteen vaccine shot, and then you contrast that with in terms of the relatively soft treatment that Aaron Rodgers received in terms of you know his uh, his his. his his attempt at disinformation by, you know, leading people to believe in the fact that he had taken a shot, speak values in terms of the kind of double standard that exists in professional sports. But I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. I think it's par for the course. I think one of the things when you talk about in terms of earnings, uh, the, 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 the amount of money, even though it's considerable, the amount of money that, uh, that the NFL owners have access to is actually decreasing. Uh, even though it's decreasing the still conservative amount of money. But for them, uh, of course, more is better. And so, therefore, if they're going to, if there's any possibility in terms of reviving those numbers in terms of, you know, uh, higher earnings, then clearly um, one of the things they want to do is protect the so-called star athletes. And, of course, when you talk about star athletes, it doesn't hurt if you're talking about, you know, white, white athletes. So historically, when you look when you, when you look in terms of the treatment of white athletes, in terms of, for instance, you got Richard Cognito, you know, in terms of his racist racist uh, his racist uh, his racist racist language, 
and put against one of his teammates, uh, one of his African teammates. Or when you when you look at the um, the linebacker for Forty Nine ers who name the name evades me, but uh, uh, this guy was uh, uh, this guy was abusing all kind of steroids. Uh, what was his name? Um, his, I, his, I, I can, his name evades me right now, but it'll come to me shortly. But in any event, uh, but the mere fact that he was engaged in the steroid usage, everybody knew that. For the fact that because he was a star and he was whitening enough air, uh, he was protected. So clearly, you know, NFL is simply a, a microcosm of the broader society. So nobody should be surprised in terms of the 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 the, 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 the various uh, ways in which uh, you know uh, the reporting manifests themselves when it comes to you know African athletes versus white athletes. So to answer your question about Africa, uh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, that's just part of the course, and I don't think anybody should be surprised at all about that. Well, Anthony. What you make of this phenomenon? Look how he dealt with Cam Newton versus uh, how you Aaron Rodgers when the contracts are in the NFL. Uh, let's see. I think there that, uh, as Brother Haki pointed out, there is a double standard regarding a- a- African athletes versus European athletes. And uh, the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers is the face of the NFL right now, I think uh, I think uh, you know there is a double standard in terms of his behavior with regard to uh, you know uh, you know taking a COVID vaccine versus uh, you know African athletes. And, uh, you know, and I think it's uh, an unfair double standard, but it's something we've been subject to throughout our our history of participation in professional sports. And, uh, you know, and uh, no one should be surprised by that. And uh, there is uh, a heinous double standard, but... uh, Unfortunately, I think because of our disorganization and continued support of the NFL, regardless of what it does, you know, uh, you know uh, that 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 there no further changes on the horizon, uh, you know, to deal with that situation. But uh, you know, I find that uh, he did uh, Aaron Rodgers did lose. Um, a commercial sponsorship because of that. Uh, but in that, uh, there have been no other sanctions otherwise by the NFL, uh, you know, against his, uh, you know, refuser, refusal or lying about uh, being fully vaccinated. Okay, I hear y'all spoke to Aaron Rodgers, but... What about the nature of the football team knew they played with and the NF itself, the administration, the upper, the high-ups knew and he, and he didn't get any kind of reprimand uh, from the NFL itself, whereas other football players were heavily pressured or got recommended if they didn't take it. What is your response to that phenomenon? Okay, we well, I for think that, like that, that, that speaks to a double standard that exists in the NFL and other, uh, and other professional sports leagues 
with regards to uh, the treatment of uh, Africans versus Europeans. And uh, let's see, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, uh, Hakeem mentioned earlier the example of Kyrie Irving. I mean, because he refuses to be vaccinated, he's not uh, he's not a, a, allowed to play in NBA right now. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so there is this double standard uh, that exists uh, not only in the NFL, but throughout all professional sport leagues uh, with regard to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, this policy of having to have a, a, a vaccination against COVID-19. And I and I think it's an unfair double standard, but that uh, but but exists uh, throughout all sports leagues uh, that I'm aware of. Says Eleanor, talk to me, talk to me, says Eleanor. What's going on in the NFL? Man, this question of vaccination. Some players uh, force and pressure, and others they want to be silent on it. You'll take well, this out, Norm. What do you think? Well, I'm not a great expert on uh, these games, but I know the Green Bay Packers were allowed to operate under a double standard and that that guy Rogers came down with the virus uh, last Wednesday and that the, the, the players from the Green Bay Packers were seen at a, 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 a Halloween party with no masks and according to the NFL protocol, this is they need to be isolated, and you know because they did not wear masks. The masks not only protect them, but it protects them from spreading the virus to other persons, like the vulnerable population, like the elderly, children, people who attend these games. And there's definitely a double standard. Uh, the NFL is, quote-unquote, is investigating how the Packers handled the, the COVID-19 protocol at their facility and around games. Uh, the league is supposedly looking at video footage and this kind of thing. And, 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 and I know that you could see these Green Bay Packers not wearing masks. Now, all of the players were supposed to wear masks when they were off the, the you know to the sidelines or whatever you call it, but apparently they didn't. Uh, uh, one team executive uh, said he received a memo from the NFL about the COVID-19 protocol that read in part, any such individual with bench area access who is not fully vaccinated except for active players, shall be required to wear a mask at all times. Unvaccinated, active, active, inactive players must also wear masks. Well, apparently the Green Bay Packers didn't get that memo. Uh, it, it, it's just an outrageous double standard. And I'm being facetious when I say they didn't receive the memo. They received it, but they uh, chose to ignore it. And this guy, Aaron Rodgers, is a white guy, and he that he has privilege as 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 uh, brother Africa. What is he? The quarterback? Yes, 
he's the quarterback. And the quarterback seems to be, as I learned about these, the most important player. And that was the position, I believe, that for years they said that uh, blacks didn't have the intelligence to handle. Is that that position, Brother Africa? That's correct. So obviously there's a double standard, and uh, we can see that racism is alive and well in the NFL. That's why these players, no matter how well paid they are, need to have their own attorneys and form their own unions instead of relying on the owners to provide these services for them, you know, and they will continue to get the short end of the stick as long as they do so. They have an obligation to stand up for themselves and other players uh, in the NFL and even former players. You can't put it all on the owners and you can't put it all on the um, team executives, you know, to, to, to make decisions for you. So uh, I'm sure a bunch of coaches uh, are, uh, have complained that their team apparently were held to a different COVID-19 protocol standard over the summer than the Green Bay Packers. And uh, everyone got to see this. While the NFL instructed teams that unvaccinated players were required to wear masks along the sideline on preseason games, Packer quarterback Aaron, he's a quarterback, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers did not. So um, racism there's a double standard, and it's clearly uh, racist. Thank you, Susanna. Now let's bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, give me your take on this on this situation. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. I'm I'm still getting information. Uh, Eleanor actually more information than I was aware of. Uh, I, I thought I knew a little more about football than she did. But nevertheless, I haven't been. Uh, I heard um, um, Terry Bradshaw criticizing Aaron Rodgers for lying today about the vaccine. That's, that was when I first heard about it. Um, uh, obviously, there's some kind of double standard, as everybody has pointed out. Um, um, he lied, and um, and um, but anyway, he he didn't play today. He was he was. He was he was not able to play today, and he can't come back evidently until Saturday, and they have a game on Sunday again. Um, so I don't know if he'll be in there next Sunday either. But uh, they lost today, and um, I, I, you know, there's you know this line uh, is inexcusable, and and um, there's a reason why these protocols are set, and. Uh, and they and you know when you don't adhere to them, uh, it is a dangerous situation because we have to take this thing seriously because uh, uh, it's a very dangerous situation. And uh, uh, I'm still investigating. Thank you. Thank you, brother Rose. And our last point on the world of sports, we have to just get a quick remark for each one of y'all. For Ken, brother Hakeem, you know that. On Netflix, uh, former quarterback uh, 
Kaepernick did a documentary on his life. And one of the scenes in his documentary that has been give, that has drawn a lot of criticism um, was a scene where he equate how they uh, inspect the football players when you, when you first get drafted and they ask you to strip down and they have to body set you and check you and poke you. He equate that as a form of like being in slavery. How they used to do us when we was enslaved, poking and and looking at our physical uh, makeup. What you make up of that analogy? I think it was on the money. Your take, Brother Haki. Oh, well, er, well, earlier I was talking about a a a, um, a player who used steroids. I was thinking about Bill Romanowski. So clearly, double standard is a reality in in, in professional sports, particularly NFL. Uh, well, in terms of the question, Brother Africa, uh, I think uh, Colin Kaepernick is absolutely correct. I mean, it it is. There's still really no way to look. I mean, there's no way of um, avoiding that comparison. When you look at it in terms of historical, in terms of when they had us on the so-called uh, slavery blocks, uh, when they inspected us in terms of our physical size, our teeth, you know, our back, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, our shoulders, and all those kind of things, uh, clearly the implication was that uh, you know that um, your physical your physical size. Uh, equated to your ability in terms of actually doing physical work. And so there, there was that implication. So when you think about the, the combines, you talk about uh, professional football, and talk about, you know, sizing these guys up to, to, be, to be considered for um, uh, as players of professional, professional football, when you start looking at guys in terms of their, you know, their size, their strength, their ability to jump, their ability to run, and all those characteristics, and you 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 sort of equate it to uh, you know, it, 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 it it sort of the basis the human it sort of the basis the human being because no longer you're a human being there's someone just something less you're something less than a human being uh, where your physical prowess in fact determines who you are it's no different than say buying buying a bull you know looking at the bull and assessing you know, his physical characteristics to determine how much you're going to pay for it. It seems to me that's it's the same analogy. There seems to be no fundamental difference. So when Colin Kaepernick says that uh, it equates it to, you know, uh, the slavery block in terms of selling human beings during the time of our ancestors' enslavement, I think he has a point, and it is like that. And I and I find it, um, I really find it insulting when you sit there and you look at some, when you look at guys and you got them running, jumping, you know, throwing and doing all these kind of things, you know, assess their, their ability in terms of playing professional sports. When, when in fact, one of the things is that when you, you, you have a record in terms of not only a high school record, but you also have a college record in terms of their capabilities. And so you have a very fundamental uh, basis from, from which to determine, you know, their ability in terms of performance. And so, of course, when we talk about in terms of the physical, uh, the physical um, uh, training that you have to do in terms of playing professional sports, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a side question because the, 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 I think the predominant question is the capability of being able to play. So if you demonstrate in the league through high school and college that you're capable of playing, then the physical attributes will come later simply because of virtue in terms of weight training and all the other kind of things that do in terms of preparations for football games. And so, therefore, you don't really need in terms of combine when you're actually checking people's ability to jump, their ability to run, their ability to throw, or their ability, you know, to touch uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 or, or contort their body in a way in which, you know, uh, 
supports the idea that uh, you have you have the flexible the maximum amount of bill of flexibility. So I, I so I think Kobe Kaepernick is actually correct. But the mere fact that he made that comparison in terms of the what happened to the kind of debasement of our ancestors and the kind of debasement of athletes in the NFL, I think when he made that uh, when he made that uh, analogy, it a little bit it hit a little bit too close to home. So I think that was responsible for the for the um, for the um, response uh, from many who saw it as, as as negative or somehow inappropriate. But clearly, Brother Kaepernick was absolutely correct in terms of that's no way of getting around it. And he is in terms of the epitome, you know, of a, of, a, of a slave market. I mean, that's that's the only way I can look at it. Not close with that. Okay, we're gonna to go to Carla, who has just joined us. Carla, we're gonna recognize the last four number six one zero three six one zero three. Any comments, questions you'd like to access or share with us, Carla? We're gonna bring you in there on the mic and show. It's called a six one. Oh, three, you may speak. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. How are you doing this evening? And, uh, thank you for taking my call. How you doing, Carla? Doing well, sir. Um, I just noticed the previous gentleman who spoke, uh, I didn't catch his name, but he was talking about the Colin Kaepernick uh, comments on comparing the NFL to slavery. And I just wanted to say, I mean, because at a certain point, it seems like people are kind of like over-exaggerating things. Because when you conflate playing the NFL or even the whole process that goes into the scouting and, you know, analysis of players, when we're talking about guys who are making millions of dollars, specifically in the case of Kaepernick, he made $17 million in his playing career. I think it's kind of absurd to try to apply some type of an oppression narrative to people who make that kind of money. When, in general, and this applies not just the NFL, but just America as a whole, Americans are desperate to try to make themselves seem oppressed, when in reality they are some of the most privileged, most well-fed, most prosperous, the most economic opportunity. The fact that if you make $32,000 a year, that puts you in the top 1% of the world financially, but yet in America, Americans have this low standard for what they think oppression is. And it's, it's, it's comical to me. The most privileged people who live in a country where poor people walk around at three, four hundred, even five hundred pounds, have the audacity to make themselves seem oppressed is hilarious. And what's even worse than that is they they bring up the atrocities of the past, what their grandparents and great grandparents went through, and somehow try to apply it to themselves as a way of some I call it like uh, oppression credit, like they take it out as a loan, you know, like they have they have a credit line of oppression, and based on what people who came before you went through, you can somehow take oppression on your credit line and apply it to yourself based on what other people went through. And it's just, it's such a backwards way of thinking, man. Just love to get your thoughts on that. Okay, Carla, we'd like to thank you for your comments. Uh, panelists, anybody like to add or respond to those comments? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hello? Yes, Hello? go ahead. Hello? This is Eleanor. Yeah. This is Eleanor, go ahead Oh, thank you, uh, Brother Africa. Um, yes, um, the reality is is that uh, Brother Tabernet may make $17 million, but what the caller and what all people need to understand is the amount of money the owners make from these players 
and these players and the compensation that they receive is is nil compared to what they earn for the NFL. And the reality is these people are workers that are underpaid. They suffer tremendous physical trauma. And you saw what happened to Cabinet when he tried to exercise a basic civil right, and that was free speech, control over his body. He took a knee, and he's no longer in the NFL. This is not an organization of privilege. And do not confuse the U.S. $32,000 limit, because you're in poverty if that's all you're making and you're living in New York, San Francisco, or L.A. The reality is the U.S. system is set up so that workers have to depend on food stamps, Medicaid, and housing assistance that are earning $32,000, $40,000 a year. This will not sustain a family, and it may not sustain an individual I live in a city where the uh, medium rent for a room is $1,000 a month. That's $12,000 a year. And you must remember the only people paying taxes in this country are the workers. And the workers at the bottom pay the most taxes because they don't have any credit. At least if you own a home. At least if you own a home, you have tax credit. Now, if the caller doesn't believe or doesn't feel that the workers are paying most of the taxes, if he doesn't realize that the super capitalists, 55 of them pay no taxes, if you don't see what's happening with the indictment with President Trump, former President Trump, if you didn't see what former President Trump did with cabinet, saying, get him off the field, get him out of the game. They got him out of the league. This is not freedom. This man had a contract, but apparently he still was an at-will hire and was terminated. So uh, I, I understand where Cabinet is coming from. And if the caller doesn't realize the suffering of formerly enslaved people and their descendants, I understand it requires more investigation, but more importantly is that we need to organize and ignore our differences and look more at our commonalities. Now, this guy, Aaron Rodgers, won't be playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, and he was diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus on Wednesday, but I guarantee you he's going to get far superior care than someone will in wards eight or seven of the District of Columbia. And as I said to the caller, since June in one venue, in one small 60-some-mile city, the District of Columbia, the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., 49 persons died of COVID. 48 of them were black people. And they died in wards seven and eight where there are no hospitals. So inequity towards African Americans is a reality that thank God the world recognized and stood in solidarity with us. Just as we stand in solidarity with the Palestinians, 
that live under apartheid in Israel. So people have to stand up with oppressed people. Sometimes you may not see the oppression. Maybe if you haven't had to endure the suffering. But when you walk on a sidewalk or a road in this United States, anything built here before the mid-20th century, with little exception, black (coughs) hands were involved in that construction. They may have not been the only hands. But they bought us here for a job, as Malcolm X said. The problem is getting paid. The problem is equity, a lack of home ownership, a lack of education. In order to take advantage of these opportunities that America offers, someone has to tell you about them. Someone has to educate you. Because everything a human being learns, except for suckling his mother's breast and grabbing its taught by another person. So with that in mind, I just say that these NFL players, and I say it once again, need to form their own unions. They need to hire their own attorneys because they are nothing more than high-paid chattel. Don't confuse the amount of dollars that they earn with the amount of dollars that we may earn with the amount of dollars that the owners earn and just stand in solidarity with them as workers that are underrepresented by the, their unions and who fail to have proper legal counsel. And, yes, they did everything to cabinet except for oil him up because that's what they did to us, brother, and we can't help but remember it. We walk by the slave stands and remember where they were. And there have been no reparations for us. And there are two major cities in this country that are now trying to accept uh, as they call livable income for its residents because this is a consumer economy. And now we have millions of people that can't consume because all their money goes into basic things. And as for those three and 500-pound overweight people, that's a sign of starvation in the U.S. because you don't have access to a bushel of greens, to fresh string beans, to lettuce, tomatoes, and basic food. And it's getting to the point where some people don't even realize and have never tasted certain vegetables because they can't afford them. You go to buy a head of lettuce, it's two twenty-nine. You go to buy asparagus, it's $3 a pound. So, so really, a, a bag of grapes, what, three forty-nine a pound and up. So these people are overweight because they're starving because they have to live on commodity foods. And they come in boxes and cans full of sodium, full of everything that undermines your health. So take these things into consideration and try to bring uh, change in your community. And, and you're doing it by calling in. So keep doing so, uh, it. Glad Patrick, to hear if, you don't, if you don't mind, ma'am, um, would it be possible? Could I, could I respond to some of the things you said? Because you made a, several points. Go ahead, Carla. Okay, so, you know, I don't want to get into a debate here, but you made several factually inaccurate statements. just wanted to clarify. Number one, when it comes to the NFL, you mentioned the players need a full union. Uh, the players already do have a union. 
Uh, it's called the NFLPA, and almost every sport league in America has it. The players have their own union, their own representatives. As far as the, the, the division of actual revenue, uh, in the case of the NBA and the NFL, they have a shared revenue pool that's actually split 50-50 when it comes to that. So the player salaries or the salary cap for each team is directly tied towards that revenue. And so the salary cap escalated as the television contracts went up, which is why there's been such a drastic increase in, in, in player pay. For example, um, 10 years ago, a quarterback would have made 15 to $20 million for a top-end quarterback. Now top-end quarterbacks are making 40 to $50 million because as the television contract and revenue go up, the salary cap or the division of salary going towards the players also escalates which has negotiated through collective bargaining. So the idea that the owners are making this gargantuan amount of money and the players not making money, that's simply not true. Um, it's just as a point of matter, number one. Number two, when it comes to Kaepernick, when Kaepernick then lost his job, supposedly lost his job just because of protest, let's not forget he got nearly $40 million from Nike that sponsored him directly because of his protest. So it wasn't like he fell on hard times. This is a, that's another point to clarify. Now, when, it, when you mentioned about the taxes, and the percentage of money paid. So the top 1% in America pay nearly 90% of all income tax in this country. That's something that you can say to Yeah, no, I know it's hard for you to believe, but that's an actual fact. You can research it for yourself. I actually studied tax law and tax revenue and government revenue versus um, government spending and all that, so I'm, I'm well-versed when it comes to these things. And that's a common misconception by people that the supposed wealthy in America don't pay their fair share, when in reality they pay the lion's share of income taxes in most taxes when it comes to America uh, tax revenue. You can look it up and go to irs.gov. You can verify it for yourself. Now, you also mentioned this thing about the understanding the history and educating yourself on history. Uh, first and foremost, I'm an African myself. I'm Ethiopian. I came from a country that was under heavy oppression through the communists. And I'm well-versed in the American history and the history of African Americans, specifically in this country, and different African American leaders and understanding what was going on, which is and, and it's because I do know that history, which is what makes me look at African Americans today in a kind of skeptical manner because in light of how American African Americans used to have to live and the level of oppression they used to have to deal with and how many African Americans were able to overcome those things and still succeed despite what they were dealing with, which is far greater than what you're dealing with today, I kind of, to me, I, don't, I, I can't take people seriously today and try to act as if they're still living like it was back then when they're not. And even more than that, so many young black people today are succeeding in all manner of fields. Like, I don't know how old I am, you know, I didn't, it's not my place to ask, but most young African-Americans under the age of 35, a lot, I know a lot that own businesses that are successful in all types of high-level, high-paying jobs. And it's just, I just think there's a disconnect between what's going on today versus what things may have been like when you were younger. And it's just, it's not, it's not the same world anymore. And with the with the spread of information, it's kind of it's almost the onus on you as an individual to get informed to understand what opportunities are available. And today and in this day and age, where, for example, college admissions are lower for black students than they are for anyone else, so it's easier when you're black to get into a and get into college than anybody else. There are more grants available, more scholarships available. When there when it comes to employers, employers are been giving benefit tax benefits through affirmative action to hire black people. So there are certain benefits and privileges that are encodified that can actually give black people opportunities. What I'm seeing is there's a certain percentage of the black population that takes advantage of it and actually puts in the hard work and effort to achieve that success. 
then there's a portion of the black community that, and I'm not being disrespectful, just keeping it real here. They just they don't want to work hard, man. And it's and it's easy for them to fall back on this excuse of racism and systematic racism and white supremacy as a way to justify your own lack of you know effort and your own personal failure in your own life. Because if if what you were saying was totally accurate, then there would not be the number of young young older black people that are able to succeed in almost every field imaginable. And it's just like their success and that's about you in the past mm-hmm. is an indictment on your personal failure. And instead of instead of you seeing that and taking personal accountability and willing to be mm-hmm. introspective and say, okay, in my life, where are places that I could have done better in the past or would have changed my outcome now? Or what can mm-hmm. I do now to better my life now and start if I'm in a negative situation, what can I start to do to make it positive? Instead what people like, because it's easier, is to mm-hmm. say it's someone else's it's not my fault because it's painful to judge yourself. It's not easy. Not a lot of people can do that. And so because of that, there's this narrative being pushed that people accept because it makes them feel better about themselves. It's, it's easier to say, you know what, I, instead of me taking account for the fact that I was slacking off in school, I didn't manage my money properly, I didn't learn how to manage money, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't work mm-hmm. as hard when I was younger to put myself in a better position for now. Mm-hmm. And I was out there in the streets acting a fool, doing a bunch of dumb stuff, making a bunch of bad decisions. Instead, it's easier to say mm-hmm. it's the country's fault, it's systematic racism's fault, it's mm-hmm. the police's fault, parents' fault, it's, it's white people's fault, it's anyone mm-hmm. else's fault but mine. And what, what people want now is they want to be told what they want to hear. What they want to hear is not your fault. The reality and the truth is what they need to hear, it is your fault. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can better your own life and you take responsibility and realize 90% of my life's predicament is up to my personal choices. And be honest with yourself and say, am I willing to be disciplined? Am I willing to work hard? Uh, you brought up the point about I being fat him, because of the thing. This is my last point. We got this. Regardless call of the quality of food you eat, your calorie intake will dictate how much oh. weight you put on even if you're eating just McDonald's, which is probably the lowest quality of food to eat, if you're just eating a burger, the the the, the seventy nine right, cent burger call him, call him, versus call eating him. a Big Mac with fries and a large Coke, you're not gonna put on weight because the calories you're eating. Call trying to be respectful to you. We got the gist of the points that you made. Now we're gonna respond to some of your points. We thank you. More than ten minutes and made a now, this caller made a lot of assumptions and accusations that I have some serious concerns before I speak to him. Anyone on this panel is like to address some of the things that he has articulated. The mic yes, is open. I would. Um, thank you. I'd like to address some of them. African Americans aren't uh, looking for a scapegoat. The reality is, is that you can be in a public school where there are 650 students Teachers have and counselors cannot accommodate all of them. And as this young man said, he's an Ethiopian, and there's special programs to accommodate certain sectors of society right now because we are in America trying to help our immigrant population move forward. But it does not eliminate the reality of the African American. And if they're eating at McDonald's, is not because that would be their choice if they had greater choice and greater access. The reality is 
Um, there is a problem with nutrition and hunger in the United States. There is a problem with undereducating large sectors of the American population. And on this, in this venue, we stand in solidarity with all people, but we focus on African people and the diaspora. And in this country, the diaspora is unfortunately underserved and underrepresented underrepresented. And he is correct that there are many programs designed and fought for during the civil rights movement that exist. And to fill those slots, they're pushing um, they're pushing other persons uh, of African origin into those positions. So they should be happy, but they should not be confused that they made it to where they are on their own. Everyone needs support. Our children need support. I support education from the cradle to the grave. And the United States is not fostering that type of education and and literacy program. We have gone from being either number one or number two in world literacy to somewhere down in the 30s. And this world literacy is more than just reading, Brother Africa. It's also developing an understanding of what you read and being able to select what you study. And I would suggest that we all, including our caller, continue to read and study. And he needs to, I, I need to, and we all need to, Start out, he should read The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, 1929, and take it from there. Read Malcolm X. Read Van Sternemann's They Came Before Columbus. And understand who we are and understand that whenever you see a people that are deprived and depressed in a surplus labor economy, it is by intent. And these people are socialized to behave as they do. It's a form of education. And these, there's no one that is, is, is not concerned with the education of children in America. This is a big concern, and it should be for everyone. We are less educated, less productive than we've ever been. And clearly, black people have always been a part of the vanguard in invention and in science and mathematics. And being enslaved didn't stop us. Being oppressed hasn't stopped us. And it is about time that the people 35 or less are beginning to have greater access to economic development. But I can guarantee you that the masses are not receiving information on economic management, on property ownership, on advanced education. Some people don't even expect or know that they should aspire. I see young people, 13, 14, they don't think about going to college. No one ever mentioned that it was a possibility. They think you're kidding when you suggest they become a veterinarian or a biologist. So we need to have more compassion for each other. 
and we need to understand each other's culture and use our differences as something to explore and to share with each other. And when I say differences, I mean our cultural differences. If you're an Ethiopian, share the coffee ritual with us. If you're an Ethiopian, discuss the famine. If you're an Ethiopian, share with us about the new African Enterprise Act and how the African Union is now in Addis Ababa and how it needs to organize as an economic block. We're looking at these things, and we're standing in solidarity with Africans everywhere and the diaspora. So with that in mind, thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to speak, and I'm sorry if I took too much of your time. Anyone else? Let me weigh in. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Let me weigh in. First and foremost, let me just say this right off the bat. One of the things when he talks about the fact that he's Ethiopian, that somehow he's, I'm assuming his, the implication is, or the supposition is that he's somehow not black. I think that is his assumption. That's the first irony that I find in terms of his, his, his talk. But more importantly, one of the things is when you, when, you, when you talk about, when you conflate human value with money or worth or, or, or wealth, that gets you into a very, uh, a very um, that brings you to a very uh, problematic, uh, problematic uh, issue. This is a very problematic issue. Because once you start e- e- equating wealth with you as a human being in terms of your value, uh, it makes come next point. So if this guy is saying that in fact that if you make lots of money you have no reason to complain, I'm saying that that, that wealth does not liquidate that human being's worth or his value as a human being, irrespective of how much money he made. The money question of wealth is a side issue. It has nothing to do in terms of the qualitative qualitative value in terms of what it is to be human. And everyone should have that should have that right in terms of being assessed uh, based upon the most high standards. Also, when you see that, the one thing when you talk about history, you have to understand history as a continuity. And so, when Kopnik talks about the 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 the, the what we look at the ancestors in terms of how they looked at us physically and they looked at our teeth, our back, and all these kind of things to assess our ability to actually do physical labor, uh, it is it is consistent with what the NFL does. Because as I said, let me just reiterate this. I don't think you understand the point that I was making. But let me reiterate the point. The point is that when you look at the, those those young people's high school and high school and college records, their ability to play on the college level is established. In terms of his physicality, you don't have to have a combine. What you need to do is that given given that that history, that track record in terms of their high school and college, determines whether their ability to play on the professional level. The physicality comes in in the fact that when we talk about the protocol in terms of getting in shape for the pros, it's different than it is in college. But the basic skills have already been manifest itself in high school and college. And so this whole question in terms of, you know, measure, looking at people physically, like you mentioned, like you some kind of examining a horse, is something that I think Calvinette point is, is well taken. It's very inappropriate. It doesn't – see, this guy keeps equating, and, and it, it blows my mind that he keeps saying he's from Ethiopia, and I don't think he's from Ethiopia, but if he is from Ethiopia, he's an exceptional Ethiopia. The position that he's taking is so absurd. If I simply say everybody in Ethiopia is poor because they're lazy and they don't want to work, I could say that, and you know there are people who believe that. But I understand the science behind what happened in terms of the how 
how the science, the science of socialization, how it impacts the political science in terms of how it impacts economies. I understand all of that, so I can never make a stupid statement and say something like, well, you know, by the way, all Ethiopians are lazy and stupid. That's why the country is so very poor. I could say that, but that's stupid. And this notion that you say that somehow the African people don't born in America like drive, it's historically stupid. I don't know how, any other way to put it. When you look at terms of the, despite the, the hardships that African people have to do to society, despite those hardships, we still excel. In spite of the fact that when you talk about educational systems, understand that there is a, a Popeye system that operates in America. That Popeye system, in terms of per capita expenditures when it comes to education, is considerably less when it comes to school, urban schools versus rural or suburban schools. So clearly the quality of education is considerably less. So the things those kids are exposed to in suburban schools are quite different than the, than the things that kids are exposed to in urban schools. It does have a quantitative impact in terms of the kids' ability in terms of competing. People in a position of power, the capitalists understand that. And this is why the system exists as such. It's not an equal opportunity or formula in which all schools are equally funded equally. It doesn't exist in America. So this guy attempts to somehow blame scapegoat or blame African people for their own oppression, uh, to me, it's fundamentally is crazy. Next, next thing, let me go to this. In terms of tax policy, this guy knows as well as I do, when you talk about tax policies, when, I, when you talk about the marginal tax rate versus the effective tax rate, you know, damn well, well, people don't pay a, 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 a effective tax rate. They pay marginal tax rates. And when you, when you, when you, when you, when you add, when you, when you talk about marginal tax rates and you add and take into consideration things like uh, the, the, the uh, accounting, the accounting, accounting policies that are employed, when you look at the current interest rates in terms of, you know, how, 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 how interest is taxed, or when you talk about even when the situation where actually, if, as long as you don't declare your wealth, you, you're not, it's not taxed, all those things contribute to a, a lesson of a tax rate. And so you talk about wealthy people pay down to the taxes. Wealthy people, of course, pay down to the taxes because when you look at it in terms of per capita, when you average all the taxpayers in the country, of course it appears that they pay more to the taxes because they got all the money. It makes sense. And so, 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 the, so, the, so the sky is being extremely disingenuous, and he, uh, he did this, about, he did this about, about eight months ago, but he called in with this nonsense. So I, I, listen, I know I want to monopolize the time. I know other people want to respond. But I just wanted him to know that this notion about him being Ethiopian somehow sets him aside from other people who happen to be of African origin, I think it's foolish, foolish and self-hating. But I'll close with that. Hello? Hello? Brother Anthony, Brother Moses, any comment questions? Anything you'd like to respond to that caller? Uh, yes, I, 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 I want to uh, respond. Uh, let's see. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that uh, that the caller might be familiar with is that a substantial number of Africans in the U.S. are underemployed. In other words, they end, uh, uh, in addition to the points that uh, uh, Brother Haki and Sister Eleanor made, I want to add that a lot of Africans that uh, that go to, uh, that manage to, get, to finish college, 
to get their degrees are, do not necessarily work in the fields for which they major then. And uh, they're, uh, they're underemployed. They are forced to take jobs that do not uh, that do not utilize their skills and abilities, which they worked so hard to obtain, and uh, and uh, therefore they do not work in the fields in which they were trained, and uh, and this is a factor that 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 is not discussed enough in uh, the public media, unfortunately. And that you have a lot of Africans that uh, that 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 might have majored in uh, in engineering or science, for example, that have to take jobs out outside their field in order to survive. And uh, you know, and I think uh, you know, and I think uh, you know that's because, partly because of uh, racism. And also the selective nature of uh, uh, of living in a capitalist society, and uh, you know a, a, a lot more Africans than other than those of other ethnic groups are victims of that sort of phenomena. And uh, you know, and I think uh, you know this concept of a combine is uh, in some ways analogous to slavery in the sense that uh, you do have uh, the track record of the athlete that's trying to excel in this sport and play at a, at a professional level. You have the college records. You have the high school records. So uh, this process of going through a combine in which they expect you physically is somewhat demeaning, uh, you know, from uh, you, uh, you know, from a human perspective, and uh, and uh, you know, and the thing about it though, even though there uh, there may be opportunities to get those top, uh, you know, those uh, uh, those college degrees and how uh, and uh, but in uh, but in the U.S., it's who you're connected with. That uh, that that's a big factor in terms of being able to exercise those options, and uh, and if you're an African that has no political connections, then you're more likely not to work in the field for which you uh, you spend time getting your expertise in. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, did you have something else you want to say, Brother Moses? You like to respond to my brother? Yeah, let me weigh in right here. Um, um, basically, you know, we have an ideological problem here. Um, you know, it's all about where you're coming from and where you're going, and ideologically, in terms of what you've studied and um, your understanding of the, of the political science. And um, so, obviously, this person is is an anti-Marxist, anti-communist, and uh, and uh and you know we should understand you know that uh that um, everything flows from from uh your outlook and um so you know it's it's not surprising uh that you know the type, type um 
stuff that he's putting out, he's spouting. Uh, um, he's, apologi- he's apologizing for the system. He basically believes the system is okay, and and he, that's why he's, he's talking about institutionalized racism and and uh, and all that, and as if it doesn't exist. And so, you know, we have to understand. You have to accept the things you can, you can't change, and change the things you can't accept, and have the wisdom and know the difference. And uh, so, there's a subjective factor here, a subjective factor that 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 um, that you, you you have to account for. Um, obviously, this combine is like a slave auction um, where they're assessing the value of, of their product. Um, they own these people. They have contracts. They they own them, and uh, and they want to make sure they're going to get the maximum amount of, uh, of, of revenue out of their investments. And this combine combine is all about um, getting the the best uh, um, worker that you can that you can. Um, um, it's, it's, and so, you know, uh, obviously um, it is like the slave auction. And I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Bose. I'm going to make two quick points. One, when I listen to my call, it's really interesting some of the terminology and words you use. Uh, it sounds like, you know, of course, he's been heavily influenced by the um, so-called right. And it sounds like he's, you know, maybe heavily influenced by the the right wing Republican Party, just just the language they chose to use. But when you look at his analysis, clearly it's a classic analysis in which he took no consideration when you're talking about the impact of, of the press or the victims. He took no assessment of the external forces and it broke their head on a particular group of people. You know, you talk about people are lazy. Well, even if people are lazy, let's say if it's true, are they lazy because they want to be lazy or are they a byproduct of forces that create conditions that create this concept called laziness? Mm-hmm. That's clearly was a lack of uh, a proper analysis when he was on getting his, 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 his uh, disposition on, on African people inside the United States. Mm-hmm. And last and not least, we know that Understanding the economic system and the relationship capitalism. No, no owners would give equal amount of money to their employees. Football players, even with a player, um, a player association representation, that representation of players association, they do not do half of the job that need to be done when you talk about economic parity between the players and what the owners make. Even many of the players criticize the association to the as a result of their lack of performance and really represent their, their, their best interests. You know, we've seen many times where even unions often represent those who are in power and not necessarily those they're supposed to represent. I will maintain, look at some of the response from the players who play the game today. That's what they often say all the time. For example, there's a cap where football players are given 
baseball and total amount of revenues, but there is no cap for owners owners in terms of how much money they can make. They can make as much money as they want. Now, there is some agreement when you talk about TV contracts, a certain percentage of that goes to the players and owner. But other revenue streams, owners can make as much as they want, and they will never put no cap. No players will never have that kind of power to poll or ownership on how much they can get and make. That is ludicrous and crazy, crazy. And everyone knows when you look at sports, we're in the context of America, that football players' contracts are the worst contracts in sports, in sports history. Those contracts are not guaranteed contracts. Most of the time, those players never see that so-called amount of money that you hear in the press or what they signed for. At best, they may get a certain amount of money that will guarantee, but most of that money is never fully guaranteed. They don't have fully guaranteed contract, contracts for most ball players in the NFL. It was real interesting the other day I listened to Jerry West, the owner, the former um, general manager of, of the Lakers, and now work with the Clippers. But he was on a podcast, and he was talking about how horrible the working conditions are for football players as compared to basketball players and their lack of guarantee contract. So anyway, there is some misunderstanding or mis or some intentional deception on some of the information that the caller called in, but we do like to thank him for contributing to this program. So at this point in time what we're gonna do, we're gonna have a revolutionary break and when we come back, we would like to discuss our theme tonight, part two, the whole world eyes are on us. Well, we'll be we'll be right back. This is Africa on the move.
That's right. Welcome back. Who set the world on fire? We're going to do it right now as we continue to discuss part two, the whole world eyes are on us. Speaking of that, we must look at the Biden administration. That was an interesting article written for Black Agenda Report on the 20th of October, 2021, titles, Biden Demand Ethiopia Unconditional Surrender. Can you dig that? Biden demands Ethiopia's unconditional surrender. Who gave him that authority? Who gave him that right? Who even gave him the ideal? He can tell any African country what to do. Let me just read this little first paragraph to set the tone for the discussion. And panelists, I'd like for y'all to weigh in. Um, right now, it has a subtitle. It said, Biden, said, President Joe Biden continue to play the clueless, racist, and paternalistic, ugly American in the Horn of Africa. On his leadership, the U.S. has been at war with Ethiopia since last November, with its former puppet, the Tigray People Liberation Front, attacked a federal Ethiopia army base in Mekel, the capital of the country's Tigray region. Tigrayans are only 6% of Ethiopia's population, but the TPLF ruled the whole nation with an iron fist from 1991 to 2018, when popular uprising forced them from power. Now, when we talk about the whole world how the eyes on us, this is a classic example. Again, why is it that you have a president of the United States government imposing another country, a nation, Submit its will and its sovereignty. Sovereignty population is less than six percent, and into a population or a small group that doesn't have the majority um, allegiance agreement from the people. Brother Hakeem, what do you take from this particular article? It's very dangerous seeing how good how the West and U.S. continue to create chaos among African people and among the chaos that takes place in Africa, and they continue to create this chaos just to make sure there are no stability and we cannot maintain our our, uh, sustainability to do the kind of things we need to do to develop and grow. Your take from this article, Brother Haki. I, I think I, I think Brother Africa. I, I think that you know there's certainly enough uh, blame to go around. Certainly, one of the one of the, one of the sticking points is that you know when the, um, President Abid uh, Ahmad um, Ahmed, when the, his term was up, he's only interim president. But when his term was up, he, he extended his term of, of, of the presidency. So I think, as politically speaking, that was a source of uh, contention for a, a lot of people in Ethiopia. But having said that, I think what is important is that when we talk about the history of the Tigray uh, organization and we talk about this relationship with the United States, it's clear that the United States wants to have access to, to, to Ethiopian resources. And certainly one of the ways in which you have access to resources is to have people in positions of power to make that reality possible. Now, Biden's talking about, actually, he's talking about, um, you know, he's talking about ending the, the Annual Growth and Opportunity Act uh, in, in Africa. Now, this particular act affects 38 African states uh, in Africa. Now, here's the catch. Here's the, here's the thing about it, Brother Africa. 
of this this particular this particular act has nothing to do in terms of the empowerment of the East, the African economies, particularly Ethiopia. It has more to do with creating uh, opportunity and access for investments for for U.S. business clientele. And so, therefore, even in the context of Biden talking about ending the annual growth and opportunities act, it was never for the benefits of, of Ethiopia, even though it's counted as somehow it is a real benefit. And keep in mind that this particular act, this Annual Growth and Opportunity Act, was enacted in May of 2000. But in, 2000, in 2015, they extended it. The reason why they extended it for 15 years, between 20, 2000 and the year 2015, they studied that because they wanted to make sure that in terms of innovating this act, that there would be no real, there would be no real benefits accrued to Ethiopia. And so having established that fact that the, the, the act is perfect in terms of maximizing profits, you know, for the West and particularly the United States, they extended this act in 2015 to, to affect it to, uh, to be renewed in 2025. So clearly, Brother Africa, uh, this, 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 the, the Joe Biden's uh, actions are indicative of, fact, indicative of, you know, imperialist powers and what they do. If they're, going to, if they're going to create a scenario in which they stand to benefit, then they want to make sure that any obstacle that stands in the way in terms of their potential benefit is removed. And so in this particular context, they're saying that the, the presidency of, of Ahmed, Abed, Ahmed, Ahmed is, in fact, an obstacle, and so they want it removed. And so the, the, the quickest way to do that is to facilitate division or, uh, between the Tigrid people and the Oromos in Ethiopia. So clearly this is a political tactic, and nobody should be deceived in terms of that being a political tactic. Brother Anthony, your take on this article? Yes, I agree with uh, uh, Haki's observations. It's uh, it's a tactic in which uh, you know uh, U.S. imperialism is trying to impose its uh, its uh, domination of Africa's political policy. And uh, the fact that Ethiopia is a victim of it attests to the weakness of uh, of most of the uh, current countries in Africa, in the fact that they don't have they are not viable political formations that can uh, stand up to the forces of U.S. imperialism. And uh, that the ultimate solution is to seek uh, political unification. Uh, and, uh, you know, with other African countries. But because of egos, uh, most of the current uh, regimes in Africa aren't willing to do that. And that's a problem. And the limitations of a top-down approach to trying to achieve pan-Africanism. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, and, uh, you know, without the achievement of pan-Africanisms, you know, the countries in Africa will continue to be politically weak and unviable uh, uh, economic and political uh, entities, sensitive to the domination of the uh, of the imperialist forces, uh, including the U.S. 
and uh, and uh, other imperialists such as uh, the EU, European Union, and uh, so I think I think it uh, you know I think this situation speaks to importance of uh, Africans uniting and pursuing genuinely socialist policies toward that will lead to Pan-Africanism. Sister Eleanor, let me just read the statement and you can respond in terms of your take from this article, Sister Eleanor. It states that this is a hybrid warfare which may include official censor, mass media disinformation campaigns, sanctions, financial strangulation by the IMF and World Bank, proxy war, special military operations, covert operations, state-of-the-art satellite intelligence, and over drone bombing. We shouldn't hesitate to call it war because it's how the U.S. will wage going forward. It's unlikely that the U.S. will ever again make large troops commitments like those made in Iraq and Afghanistan. But it will remain committed to perpetual war for global hegemony. Sister Eleanor, you will take from this article. Um, I think, yes, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, in terms of uh, uh, U.S. imperialist policies and that of the EU, as the other analysts said, the most important thing, and this can be a real test for the African Union, which is based in Addis Ababa, these people need to organize collectively Right now, that AGOA money, those decisions were made in in late October, and they have 60 days for Congress to act on them. So uh, I think that the African nations need to organize. And it's interesting, as Brother Hakeem said, that the the African Growth and Opportunity Act, A-G-O-A, which sounds like uh, uh, it was made for uh, the advancement of Africa, um, it was actually uh, an opportunity. Bill Clinton signed the, the bill in 2000 to give access, uh, free access to in sub-Saharan Africa, which includes Ethiopia, and that between 2000 uh, and uh, and 2020, that that has risen from 28 million to 300 million dollars. And uh, quite frankly, the issue of the Teray people that has become a humanitarian crisis. It's a it's a, a man-made crisis, a political crisis, where the Turei are now going to Djibouti and other places trying to escape the tyranny of the war that's going on. And uh, the issue of mass imprisonment, and the most important thing now is the issue of hunger and starvation. And there's been reports of, of rapes and other incidents. 
And the, the imperialists aren't concerned, it seems, about uh, human rights uh, or, or most of all the uh, the terrain. These pe- people rule people who work in the country, you know, but they're fleeing uh, the manufacturing sector and, and, and uh, will be, and they're the people that, well, actually, the the people fleeing the manufacturing sector. I don't know whether they're Terea or not, but I know that those people fleeing will suffer because what has happened is uh, these manufacturing goods have, as I said, gone from 28 million to 300 uh, million, and obviously workers are gaining some form of income. Uh, in Ethiopia, and the article talked about uh, most of all rural women who worked in the country uh, manufacturing sector and others. So I do think that, and the ambassador also spoke, uh, the ambassador um, uh, of Ethiopia talked about the importance of doing this um, um, moderated uh, two sessions, uh, the importance of the uh, Africa. Well, he didn't, you can see the importance of Africans uniting. And uh, October 30th was apparently the deadline, according to the article, for the administration to send their final recommendations to Congress. I don't know what what where they stand at this point, um, um, and I just know that according to the article, that Congress after they have 60 days as of October 30th to to approve the administration's decision, and uh, I'm not sure what that decision is, but the ambassador also said that some of those who placed orders with manufacturers in Ethiopia have already put them on hold waiting to see what will happen and uh, the uh, apparently uh, the 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 best suggestion that the African Union leaders uh, learned from um, well the African Union leaders to negotiate the AGOA agreement as a block. That's the best solution for the AG negotiated as a block, that all 40 countries or 38 countries negotiate collectively, these sub-Saharan countries. And in terms of the terrain, that is a complex issue. Now, Brother Key mentioned the Oromo who live in the south down uh, near Kenya, the border, Ethiopian border with Kenya. The Terei, I think, live in the north because uh, something horrible is happening that a half a million people, no matter whether they're 6% or 1%, every person counts. We cannot just assume that because a sector of the population is 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 appears to be small that its impact is irrelevant. They ruled the country for twenty one years. It wasn't a communist regime. Uh, Ethiopia had been in a war prior to that where people were 
fleeing Ethiopia, uh, moving around the world, as is evident in the United States. The United States has more, uh, Washington, D.C. has uh, the second largest number of Ethiopians outside of Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. And the Los Angeles, California, has the third largest sector of Ethiopians outside of Addis Ababa. Now, these people, many of them, migrated long before 1991. So the Tere, uh were ruling their country. Uh, someone held tight. We, we, we invited the president, uh, uh, the new president, to come here. I saw him about five years ago at the convention center here in Washington, D.C., but he was supposed to move on. He received all these prize, uh, awards and, and these uh, European acclamations of his great success, and now we have the Ethiopian army attacking civilians, the Ture. And uh, this we see too often around the world where civilians suffer because of some small group and their action. And uh, I am not educated as to know what the situation is other than I know that people are starving and civilians are uh, dying and that a half a million people have left their country not for the United States, but in fear, walking to neighboring Djibouti. So uh, something needs to be done. And I would suggest that the people in Addis Ababa sit down and negotiate. What do you mean that you have to have terms and conditions? Well, there should be some terms and conditions in terms of handling the meetings, and there should be moderators and facilitators there to assist. But some action has to be taken by the Ethiopian people to address this uh, tragedy, human rights tragedy that is being uh, witnessed against the Ture people. I don't care if they're 6% or they're 1%. Every life matters. And starvation as a political tool is not the way to go. It seems to be becoming a geopolitical tool that will just starve you out. We see Saudi Arabia doing it in Yemen. We have a child dying every 10 minutes, and now we're watching the people of the Teray. So, Brother Africa, I I uh, think uh, Joe Biden, uh, his idea uh, maybe needed to be rethought and um, the notion of, uh, as the article said, the proxy of war will be special military operations, as you said, covert operations, state-of-the-art satellite intelligence and or drone bombing. Well, we know we have state-of-the-art satellite intelligence right now. We know the U.S. has it and many other nations has it, uh, the EU, China. Uh, India, this is nothing new. So, uh, again, uh, I don't know whether or not I understand why we use the terminology war that's being waged against Ethiopia, but the reality is, is that there is an internal war 
going on in Ethiopia, and the Turei people are suffering and dying. And the Ethiopian leadership, uh, President Hamed, down at a table or sat down and allow some negotiation to bring this humanitarian crisis to an end. It's, it's, it's clear to me when you look at this article, Pellis, U.S. has taken the side of the aggressor. And it's clear to me it's nothing no more a continued policy is to rule by chaos. So any other final points y'all would like to raise from this article before we move on? Yeah, I see that the U.S. tried to sanction the prime minister and and the, the defense prime minister, but apparently they had no access. <laughs> that was very interesting. I found that interesting. And And the U.S. needs to stay out of Ethiopia's business. But Ethiopia has a humanitarian crisis going on, and it's not our business. And these sanctions would, uh, I don't think they would, if we impose sanctions, uh, uh, rather it would hurt individuals and, 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 and help uh, in perpetuating violence and driving the humanitarian disaster. It would, in other words, our sanctions would help exasperate the human humanitarian disaster that's going on in Ethiopia right now. So this is uh, not the most appropriate action to take. There needs to be some type of uh, negotiation where Ethiopians sit down and address this issue themselves. And uh, there was an NGO, People to People, uh, an Ethiopian diaspora NGO that was founded to improve life in Ethiopia. Maybe a group like that or the Ethiopian ambassador to the United States, his name was uh, Sitsum Ariga, said that he had turned to African ambassadors in the United States in the United States uh, and the African Union and, and their trade exports to oppose any sanctions. So again, if the AU sticks together and and negotiates as a 34 to 40 African nations um, have benefited annually from the AGOA since its inception, if they sit down and negotiate together as a bloc, I think uh, we could avoid any sanctions. I'm sorry, I think I misspoke there. The AGOA has benefited 34 to 40 African nations annually since its inception. But if they organize collectively all the all the nations, the 34 or 40 nations that have benefited from the AGOA since its inception, that collectively they can fight and resist any sanctions against Ethiopia or any other nation in the future if they are organized and work together in the African Union. As we as we continue the theme part two, the whole world has our orders, 
We can look at transition to another article of interest. If I listen on and get a chance, please Google this article titles Police Stole Sacred Objects from Afro Brazilian People. Man Museum hoard them. Now this article bring back um this this, this discussion around the, the the question of value of culture. People having the right to own and control their culture and how culture can be used as a weapon to either move the people forward or it can be used as a weapon to oppress the people. What is the incentive or why uh, law enforcement will confiscate people, religious symbols, and aspects of their culture? So when we read this article, Brother Anthony, what were some of the significant points that uh, stood out in terms of this phenomenon? of um, how the value of one culture has been used historically, particularly in terms of the period that we was enslaved, or how certain things that were pressured to us were taken through it, taken from us, uh, and, and still today they have not been given back to the communities, to the people which developed that particular product or that particular culture. Okay, certainly. Um well let's see, uh well let's see, um Africans in the diaspora uh during uh during the nineteenth century and the eighteenth century to a lesser extent, uh try, tried to uh develop uh preserve uh their cultural identity as best they could even though they were dispersed and separated, uh, you know, from their ethnic groupings. And uh, out of response to this, uh, practices such as capoeira, samba, and uh, other religious practices were developed, which were violently persecuted and and criminalized uh, during the uh, during the 19th and 20th centuries in Brazil, and uh, and uh, and uh, you know, and the thing about it though, this fight uh, to reclaim, you know, those aspects of their cultural identity, have been denied uh, because uh, a lot of the uh, the artifacts that they used were stolen by the police force and turned over to museums, which hoard them. And, uh, and uh, you know, and deny access to people that created them. And so the museums, uh, you know, serve as an additional force of oppression in terms of uh, uh, denying uh the Africans in Brazil the ability to assert their cultural identity. And um uh, that was the, the major mm-hmm. takeaway I took from this article. And the solution is that uh is that the Africans in Brazil must intensify their uh level of political organization in order to uh you know in order to uh, re- re- uh you know regain those control of those artifacts that are impor- important to their cultural identity 
Brother Aki, your response to this article. Well, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting that this phenomenon continues to happen with respect to, to the West hoarding of, uh, you know, uh, cultural relics. It's very, very interesting paradox. Uh, but I suspect that a lot of it has to do with the fact that by stealing those cultural uh, relics, uh, one of the things you do is that you uh, make it possible to devalue the role culture plays in terms of promoting values. So one of the things in terms of maintaining oppression is you do so by having values. If your values are consistent with the dominant uh, oppressive va- uh, institution values, then, you, then, that, then that, that, particular, uh, that particular populations that beholds them to those values are easy to manipulate. They're easy to oppress. And so, therefore, destroying those, those cultural icons, those cultural relics, uh, it sort of makes this whole process much easier. And so when people start in, in, in incorporating or internalizing the values of the oppressor, then without those values to sort of refute that kind of mindset, people tend to, on a much greater level, accept this kind of, this kind of, uh, 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 this kind of reality which suggests that your values, that you have no values, that the only values you have are the values of the oppressor. So I think that has a lot to do in terms of the propensity of, propensity of the Western states to continually uh, take these, these cultural relics you know, and, and place them in, in the in museums. Secondly, I think it has a lot to do in terms of, you know, in keeping with the first point, sort of to, a lot of it has to do with eviscerating the history of a people. Uh, one of the things is that when, when you read the book, uh, Historians in History by G.W. Noble, he talks about the West uh, getting together, the Western leaders getting together in terms of specifically to destroy or undermine or to eliminate the history of Africa. They understood that one of the things, that all those things, that anything that you can do that's geared toward eliminating that history it's important, and certainly one of the things when you, when you eliminate the, the, the artistic uh, contributions to humanity, you know, by African people, then certainly you, you make it possible to eviscerate, to eliminate that history. And so, therefore, I think that has also terms a lot of motivation in terms of this this, this willingness to uh, you know to uh, place you know African artifacts you know in in Western museums. And one of the things that's very very ironic is that when you talk about countries like the U.S. or the U.K and their willingness or the refusal to return those, those, those articles back to their, to their country of origin speaks variance in terms of their commitment to the oppression of African people. So clearly, Brother Asher, there is, there, is a, there is a logic behind it, whether we understand that or not. And so uh, it's important, uh, it is important that people keep up the fight in terms of getting those, those, those objects returned to their source, to, to the country of origin, because it's important in terms of development and evolution of a people that we have access, you know, to those, uh, to those, to those icons. And I'll close with that. And Sister Eleanor, your takes on this article? I thought it was a fascinating article. And Brazil being the second largest Afrocentric country on earth, I think it's wonderful that the curators got together at least with the Provo de Santos as the African uh, Afro-Brazilian religious community is is known, and in Brazil, and in an effort to reclaim um, and to to reclaim and to um, uh, work out a way to handle these artifacts. Now, what they did was they got the mamas and the papas of the saints, and I'm sorry, I, uh, there was a, a Spanish word in the article for it, 
what these and these are the religious leaders. These are the religious leaders. These are the religious leaders of that community, and these persons um, were talking about the storage and the conservation of these objects. And the and the curators, while the curators may express concerns about using appropriate techniques in terms of conservation, the question of what is it means to to um, to have these objects. Uh, was bought up and how to store them, and the high priestess recommended, and there is that the collection and the movement are that there's a move a collective movement that's advocating for various goals depending on the situation, and that is mainly the conservation of these objects, and they feel that it's very important that some of them be relocated for use in religious communities and that uh, for the ritual, for ritual use. In other cases, they're advocating for a change in the way these objects are stored and used in exhibitions, taking into account the practices, as Brother Hakeem said and Brother Anthony, the practices of the religion itself. So it means in forming some respectful way of handling uh, these objects and uh, displaying them in a respectful and traditional way. And this is very important to the Brazilian people as the second largest Afrocentric country and the first country to actually put these artifacts in major museums and consider and considering them a part of their major cultural identity, as you know, in the West, when we go anywhere and see any of our history, as Brother Anthony mentioned, caparero, that was a martial arts dance that the Africans used because they weren't allowed to publicly develop any way of self-defense or fighting. But that's what the caparero represents. Uh, martial arts techniques and the samba is a very important um, in terms of dance and movement but what this article is mostly focused on is the religion and the artifacts and as you as the article said they were kept in in yards they call them yards and in houses and it's very important that those river rocks be a part of the assembly. So apparently it's very complex, but at least the Brazilian uh, museum curators made sure and needed Provo de Santos as uh, to be there to tell them how to display and what's needed. And there's a dialogue going on. And we hope, I hope to see uh, more conservation of this type, uh, conservation of the indigenous people and of the diaspora, their culture and their religion, because it's clearly being lost. And as it was in this country, so many things were outlawed. We couldn't dance. We weren't allowed to wear our hair out. We had to rag it up. Uh, We weren't allowed to do so many things. But in Brazil, they um, 
in the 19th century, as the article said, in the early 20th century, this this uh, Afro-Brazilian religion was being repressed, and these artifacts end up being conserved in the basement of police stations and turned over to museums. But century, the curators and the and the religious leaders are having dialogue in what to do, how to store, and how to conserve these objects. And I think uh, it's quite interesting, and I'd like to see more of that. Uh, I'd like to see more conservation of uh, African culture in in the Americas, and Brazil seems to be um, taking the lead. And now the issue is, how is that since Brazil has reclaimed these sacred objects and view it as something museum worthy, now the issue is how the collection will be managed and addressing the issue that I mentioned that the um, religious leaders like May Lucha, who is one of the mamas in the organization, She's a member of the Obey Lula, um, and she's one of the leaders of the family. And she said she recognized drums and instruments. So some things she said should be returned. Others need to be returned for certain rituals, and they're having dialogue, and that's a good thing. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Noah. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a station break, uh, rupture break, and when we come back, we're going to have our final thoughts for the night as we close out part two. The whole world eyes are on us. This is Africa on the move. <laughs> Oh, the sky. 
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon on the 7th of November 2021. We're addressing the theme tonight, Part 2, The Whole World Eyes Are On Us. Right now, we will make our closing remarks on our political panelists and analysts for today's program. And we start out with Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, you can give us your final thoughts for tonight. Sister Eleanor. Well, Brother Africa, Brother Africa, and and everyone, I'd like to apologize for that phone ringing in the background. It it distracted me, but I really want to say, Viva de Volva de Santos in Brazil, that these people are actively exercising the education of the Brazilian people through the museum system of uh, uh, Afro Brazilian religion. That's a wonderful thing. And I'd like to remind everyone that people like Warren Buffett said he woke up the day after Donald Trump's election almost and had an extra $30 billion approximately in his account by nothing other than receiving tax cuts. And the rich are not paying tax. Bezos in 2019 paid zero taxes, and in 2014 he paid zero taxes. These people are bragging about not paying taxes. And the EU is having to establish a tax uh, level for its trillionaires and corporations. And if the United States doesn't take action to do so, we're going to see our country flooded with these super capitalists that can't do it at home in Europe, so they're doing it here. We already see it. We already see it in the nation's capital. So I would like to say let's make sure we remember that the super rich are not paying the same amount of taxes that you and I are paying. You persons earning your six-figure income, you're you're paying a ton of taxes that those trillionaires are not paying. They don't have to pay a certain amount. They don't have a cap of how much they have to pay of their earnings. Everyone can look at their check and see they're dropping 25% or so in taxes. So we just want to make sure that the super rich, I just want to make sure that the super rich begin to pay their fair share for our labor and the input we take take to keep our waters and our air clean and to reduce our carbon footprint because otherwise we're going to have geopolitical crises here. We're going to have, not here in the United States, but on planet Earth, we're going to have animals going extinct. We're going to have more floods, more flash fires. We're going to have people being displaced due to drought and a lack of access to water, as Brother Akeem said. So these are the things we need to focus on, and we should never be confused and think that the rich are holding up America because it's the workers that are holding up America with their dollars. A disproportionate number of worker dollars go into IRS coffers than do the trillionaires. So thank you so much, Brother Africa. I I really thank you guys. Everything you do is wonderful, and it's so educational. And just thank you for your your kindness 
and your support of African people and the diaspora globally. Thank you so much, and have a a wonderful week. Good night. Hey, you do the same, Sister Eleanor. We thank you for your contribution to today's program, and we now will move to Brother Haki, and we will get his final thoughts for tonight. Brother Haki. Yeah, first of all, let me... Uh... Let me apologize to the audience for losing my cool with with that guy. Um, uh, one of the things that you know when when you start espousing dumb dumbass things, when I know you're doing it consciously, you know you know to pit the one community against the other, it uh, sort of um, it sort of uh, um, uh, makes my uh, worldly spirit rise, and uh, that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of uh, posturing. It doesn't sit well with me. I be perfectly candid about it. I really don't like it. You know what I mean? But the whole point is that, you know, uh, people like that do exist, and and the mere fact that they exist uh, speaks of the class dimension in the African community. And so when we talk about people like this, so we talk about ways in the struggle. We have to be cognizant of the fact that you got people who think like that. And but I've got to tell you, I deeply resent the fact that this guy talks about the fact that he's Ethiopian. I know many Ethiopians who don't espouse that kind of ignorance. So I seriously doubt this guy's Ethiopian. And secondly, when he talks about the fact that he's a he's a he, Ethiopian was a communist nation, that's crazy. Ethiopia has never been a communist nature a nature nation. There are a few people who espouse communism, but it's never been a bureaucracy of communism. It never has. So there's a notion that so clearly this guy is. What, what particularly makes me angry is that people like that who, you know, um, you know, uh, assuming that he comes from Ethiopia, who come from other lands, who espouse this kind of pseudo bullshit. Uh, uh, you know, who who have the audacity to think that they are better than African people who were born in America under the guise that African people are somehow, somehow inadequate, uh, really gets to me. Because clearly, you know, um, you know, this kind of mindset, like as I alluded to before, does exist, and I do understand that. But one, one of the things is, though, is, you know, um, you know um, I think that our response to that kind of, this kind of stupidity it has to be much more on point in terms of that. So he got away with a lot of stuff tonight in which we weren't able to we weren't able to, to deal with, uh, you know, because of the time constraints. But clearly we gotta be much more on point in terms of you dealing with stupidity like that. Because clearly, you know, for those out there who, who harbor those kind of sentiments, uh, they have to be dispelled. Because one thing, you know, we can't allow that kind of mindset to expand because clearly we already got our problems with the state of capitalism, then we have these ignorant people that we have to deal with. We simply can't allow that to expand. But having said that, Brother Africa, I have to apologize, you know, for losing my cool, you know, because, you know, she's really not, people like that are really not worth it. But like I said, my warrior spirit gets involved sometime, and, I, and I, sometimes I lose it because I just hate, I just, people like that just irritate me to no end, you know, because they're the epitome of so much suffering in the world. And uh, so, so anyway, but that is, irrespective of that, clearly I can't lose my cool simply because people like that irritate the hell out of me. You know, but having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Say to you, Brother Haki. And Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes, uh, my final thought for tonight is that um, is that uh, we need to testify a level of political organization and that, um, you know, all lives of the world are on an African at the present time 
and, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, and we have to organize ourselves to better defend Africa against the exploiters that try to take advantage of us and uh, also defeat, uh, you know, all forms of exploitation by organizing for Pan-Africanism, which is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And uh, you can find out more about uh, objectives by and our program by visiting our website www.a-aprpg-gc.org, and uh, you can learn about the history of our party, the All African People's Revolutionary Party (GC), and the history of the development of our objective, Pan-Africanism, and our ideology, Incremism, Terrorism. And uh, that is the ultimate solution to problems that are confronting Africans at home and in the diaspora. Thank you for having me tonight. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. We also would like to remind our listening audience that if you are interested in any more about enslaving African people, where the wealth came from, who were the owners, and all of the important issues we need to know about our past. We encourage you to check out Pan-African Roots. They are produced a new book under the direction of Bob Brown. You can order their book by going to the website, www.a-aprp.gc. We also like to remind you that for those who like to join us in conjunction with the African Wellness Association, to take our funeral trip to Cuba for July the 23rd to the 31st, please email us at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com or you can go to our website at www.aaa-cubus.com. Come and join us and see Cuba for yourself. Like always, we thank you for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. And we would just to remind you a few lessons for our forefathers where Frederick Douglass taught us that if there is no struggle, there is no progress. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stated that the time is always right to do what's right. So let's get on the road of liberation, continue to fight for our people and fight for better humanity. And if we do this collectively to organize factions, all things is possible. So we hope to see everyone next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. Spread the word. And thank you again for being a listener and a supporter of Africa on the Moon. We'll see you next week. Until then, let's strive to go forward our backwards novel. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When 
that I've been through and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't you will you 
Babylon Quite illegal You're in a Milan Dig out me go In a Milan Digging out me pearl In a Milan Dig out me diamond We are go fight, 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 fight against the party
Don't need to escalate 
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live 
so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter. Featuring Napoleon, dumb legend. Rock the Bell Radio! Theorists. What if mine had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did its way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seemed like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was the mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? Use a hotel hustler. Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence or forever be our own down. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Fight behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter, and Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. 
tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lives Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you, what if your faith did I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have bumped my head Landed in 1940 or something, I swear And all I have is love and joy to give I need to spread my wings I need to fly away I want to get high today Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away.